Welcome to the Jess Larson Show on Innovation and Leadership. On this episode, I'm really excited to have my friend Dave DeRocher back on the show. Uh, it's been about, uh, I think, 600 episodes since you were on last, so yeah. I think there's a lot of people who missed that one. Um, Dave, the Other Side Academy, I think, is like one of the best things that's happened in our state. Um, you know, as executive and co-founder over there, can you tell people what the Other Side Academy is? So I think it's really important to say uh, who we're not first, right? Because it really does kind of set the foundation for who we are. Um, when you think about the population that we help here at the Other Side Academy, it's the long-term drug addict coupled with the criminal piece. My average student's been arrested over 25 times. So they've been using drugs and, and ripping and running on the streets for years, sometimes decades. And when you think of the places that normally help us, it's a 30, 60, 90 day model. And unfortunately, in most cases, when you get to that 30, 60, 90 day model, the first question they ask you is, how much money do you have? Well, I don't have any. Go die. Now, they don't say go die. But if you're uh, an alcoholic or you're hooked on opiates and you go to a treatment facility and you can't afford it and they can't take you, what are you, in essence, going out to do? You're going to go out and continue to kill yourself slowly. Um, and then if they do accept you, it's because you have some money, but it's not yours. Most of the time, it's somebody else's. Rich mommy and daddy are going to spend the $30,000 on the 30-day program. And then what day do you have to leave? On day 30, because the funding's run out. Doesn't matter whether you're ready or not. But Jess, Jess, I'm not ready. I, I need to stay longer. I'm, you know, I'm going to go out there and reoffend. I'm going to use again. Doesn't matter. You have to leave. But I'm going to go out there and use. We need the bed space for the next funding source. That's our models in this country, and it has been for decades. And I'm on a soapbox all over the country, and in some cases all over the world, talking about this very thing. Jess, the model's broken. It's broken because it's built around a funding model, not a helping model. Now there's a caveat to that. Most people who are working in these treatment facilities are incredible human beings. Incredible. They're doing what they can. Pardon the pun, their hands are cut. They only have us for a short period of time. So that's the, the normal model that we're used to. To answer your question more directly, the Other Side Academy is a two and a half year minimum requirement residential life skills and training academy for the very population I'm talking about. But here's the thing. Not only are we long, it's called the dosage effect, right? We'll get to that in a little while. Are we long? But we're completely free. We don't take any money from the government, city, county, state, federal government, rich mommy and daddy, Medicaid, nothing. I say we don't take any money from the government because if the government knew how to solve this problem, we wouldn't have it. The government sucks. That's a capital S, capital U, capital C, capital K, capital S. And I'm going to tell you why that is. And this offends people. And I don't care. The reason why the problem, and in most cases, if I asked people if the problem getting better or in our community is the problem getting worse, they'd all say, well, the problem is getting worse. No, it's not. Our response to it is getting worse. We are so soft on crime. We are so empathetic to the drug addict. It's not their fault. They have a disease. Don't hold them accountable. Just love them unconditionally. We're killing people, Jess. We are literally killing people, not holding them accountable. The government has no idea how to solve the problem. If they did, the problem wouldn't exist. We don't want a thin dime from the problem or from the government. So it keeps them out of our hair. Not that I have any to get in, but it keeps them away. So they, they can't start coming in thinking they know what they're doing. Listen, I'm going to be honest. Well, I don't, do I need to preface with that? I'm going to be honest anyway. Um, 
academics who go to college, who spend four, six, eight years. And please, if you're an academic, don't take offense to this unless it's true. Um, don't have a clue about me or most drug addicts. And what I mean by that is if you've never been a drug addict and you've never been to jail and you've never been to prison and you've never lived on the streets, I don't give a shit what they teach you in school. You have no idea what's going on in my head, my heart, or what I've been through. And they cannot, they absolutely cannot teach them in school how to deal with Dave DeRocher. I was a drug addict for 27 years, hardcore drug addict, out of the workforce for decades, spent the vast majority of my adult life going in and out of prisons in the state of California, which is a hate factory, right? I call prisons in California high school with knives. You can't teach people in school how to deal with me or how I think. So we have academics trying to help a population they know nothing about. Now, usually when I say that, academics are like, oh, you can't say that. I go to school. I've got a degree in. I don't give a shit what you got a degree. Can I say shit on the air? Right. We'll bleep it. Okay. I don't care what you have a degree in. I truly believe the reason why we have this problem is there's not enough people with lived experience helping others who need the help. We have academics trying to help us that have no clue who we are or how to really connect heart to heart, human to human on an intrinsic level, right? Based on life experiences, not because they read on page 74 of the Doppel manual that when Dave says this, I'm supposed to respond with this. It just doesn't work. Let me digress. The Other Side Academy is two and a half years long, residential, completely free. No government intrusion at all whatsoever. Thank goodness. Um, we do all the work ourselves. We generate all of our own revenue through our own social enterprises. Our moving company, The Other Side Movers, number one rated moving company in the entire state of Utah. For those who are listening, look up theothersidemovers.com. Go to Yelp. Go to Google Reviews. You'll see hundreds and hundreds upon hundreds of five-star reviews. For a moving company ran by ex-felons and ex-drug addicts. So let me pause there for a second and ask this question. If you were a business person or you wanted to help this population and you were going to start a nonprofit, you were going to start a for-profit enterprise underneath the nonprofit umbrella, uh, would you start a moving company ran by ex-felons and ex-drug addicts? That's what most people do. They laugh. But why wouldn't you? We have experience moving your valuables, right? Um, I say it tongue-in-cheek. But most people are like, oh, my goodness, no, we wouldn't start a moving company. Are you crazy? Yes, we are crazy. That's why we did it. And in 2018, we were at the Grand America Hotel in downtown Salt Lake City in the Grand Ballroom, ballroom 1,200 people, black tie affair, and the ex-felons and ex-drug addicts won the Ernst & Young Entrepreneurs of the Year with the moving company ran by us. While most of Utah is looking for the top 2%, we take the bottom 2%. And we kick uh, the derriere of the rest. There, I use <laughs> word. You won't have to bleep that. Um, so, well, I, I like you know I'm such a fan, and I yeah. have talked about you to so many people over the years. Uh, you know, it was it was so great for you to host me and and let me come do the tour. Um, but I think about like I remember I was reading Alan Deutschman's book, um, uh, Change or Die. And he's talking about Mimi Silbert, and he's talking about um, uh, talking about the program out out there in San Francisco. And uh, I was talking to Ted Broman, who we should give a shout out to, board member of yours. 
And he had taken me to dinner with Joseph Grenny, your, your chairman. Mm-hmm. And somehow this came up and they're like, oh, we can one up you. We've got one. In, we've got one in Utah. We're just getting started. We've got this great guy, Dave. He's going to run it all. And uh, I was just like, it was so fun for me to have read the stories and watch all like the YouTube videos on Mimi. But then to see like, this is duplicatable. This is not somebody was born special. This is something that is a model that can help our entire country. And I think the fact that that you guys have done what you've done here with the results you've created here um, is just such a testament to naysayers. Like I think about Warden Duffy from the 50s, first guy to bring like work experience into prison. Yeah. And got so much criticism and people said, don't you know leopards can't change their spots? And he said, don't you know I don't work with leopards? I work with men. Men change every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like you guys are like absolute living proof against anybody else's theories. Absolutely, Jess. I mean, I don't want to make this about me, but I mentioned earlier I was a drug addict for 27 years. When I say a drug addict, I don't, I don't mean I smoked a little pot on Fridays and did a little drinking on Saturdays and maybe a line of Coke before the ball game on Sundays. Drugs consumed my entire life. I was a hardcore drug addict from the age of 12 until the age of 38. Started with alcohol and pot, went to uh, cocaine for years during high school where I stole everything, including the shirt on your back, whether you were wearing it or not. Nobody was safe. I then found methamphetamine, got into methamphetamine, it really heavy, never set out to be a drug dealer, and then learned to become one. That, uh, uh, that meant uh, large, large amounts of methamphetamine, loaded firearms, which eventually led to many arrests. I did a two-year prison term. Uh, got out for 59 days, did a five-year prison term, got out for 60 days. At least I was staying out longer, at least by a day. Did a six-year prison term out for four months, did a 10-year prison out for four months. The day I got out, I was on my way back. High-speed chase. I don't, you probably haven't seen the TED Talk that I did in 2016. High-speed chase, helicopter, wanton disregard for public safety, uh, uh, crashed through a barricade, cuffed in the pit maneuver, beat me senseless. I had it coming. And woke up, and when I went to court, I was looking at 22 years. I'm now 17 years removed from that lifestyle. Lepers can't change their spots. I have now dedicated my life to helping people get from where I once was to where I'm at. And if 17 years of transformed life isn't enough for people to understand, well, shame on them. I sit on the board director for the South Salt Lake Honorary Colonels. I am dear friends with Jack Carruth, who is the chief of police in South Salt Lake. I am good friends with... Ken Wallentine, who's the chief of police in West Jordan. I absolutely love law enforcement. This is coming from somebody who wanted them to kill me and who I know what I mean. Kate, anyway, you get it. The point I'm making is to your point, men can't change. We need the opportunity and then we need an efficacious place. And the problem today is when it comes to changing people like I once was is the model doesn't work very well, but at least it's expensive. And what I mean by that is you're not going to take a guy like Dave and expect him to change in a 30-day program who's just trying to get you clean and sober. I don't care if you get clean and sober. You can take me and put me in a cell in jail with no drugs, no contact with the outside world. And what am I for that year? I'm clean and sober to the day I get released. And then I go to Flacco's house to pick up because I didn't have a paradigm shift in the way I think. Men can change. Women can change. Human beings can change. If you, if you influence them in the right environment, 
and you use community as method, then you can experience whole person change and you get clean and sober for free. Well, you know, I, I want to give another shout out to uh, Mike Glazier for it, uh, Glauser for having you up to uh, speak to us at the Entrepreneurship Board for Utah, yeah. Utah State University. And it, it makes me think I want to go like a little different direction with this, with today's talk, because I thought about um, how many executives and how many leaders can get a little bit defeatist about our staff. We're like, oh, man, we really need them. Like, we see this opportunity, like, you know, something happens and and the people at the top are like, I actually think we could 10 times this business. But there's a lot of habits. There's a lot of how things have been going on. Uh, there's how things were at the last place I worked. And it's like a whole different frame of life yeah. uh, that, that these staff need to have um, in order to take the kind of risks, to learn the type of skill sets, to do the kind of things it would take to 10 times or 100 times a business, right? Yeah. And I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of us who can get tempted to feel like, oh, that person's maxed out their capacity, or that person will never change, or um, you know, people in much less hardened situations than your students, we, we write off. You know? right. So I think like, I would love to hear um, just some principles for you. When you think about um, kind of the, the, the patience plus the ambition of helping someone become a better version of themselves. Can you talk about some principles in helping that happen? I think the biggest uh, uh, component to human change is influence. We absolutely, unequivocally, in the, in, the, in the world we live in today, we are definitely afraid to call anybody on their behavior. We do not want to hurt somebody's feelings. You wonder why the world is the way it is today. A bunch of victims, uh, uh, I mean, really just entitled victims. Nobody wants to hear the truth about themselves. And nobody wants to give the truth because it makes them feel really uncomfortable. Go ahead, Jess. Can, can I pause? This is why I love you, Dave. We need to, you just need to have like a standing thing. You should be on the show. Every year, we just need an update. I remember, sorry, I'm going to interrupt because one of the reasons I brag about you to so many people is I remember when we were first getting to know each other and you're like, oh, you know what my problem was? I wasn't honest. Like I was a liar. Yeah. And it's really hard to get ahead in life as a liar. Yeah. Guess what being a drug addict teaches you how to do real well? Be a liar. <laughs> and when you're lying to everyone else and you start lying to yourself and you were like, you were so unafraid of calling a spade a spade. And it wasn't, it wasn't in a self-blame way. It was, just a, it was just an observation of fact, but you didn't, you didn't add the blame or the shame on top. You're like, that's what it was. I needed to change. And I just think like, it was so inspiring to me. So I know I'm interrupting. So let's go yes, back to your answer. Let me, let me touch on that for a second. Yeah. I don't want to make any, any listen. My average student's been arrested 25 times. I, w I got arrested probably a dozen times, a little bit less. But then towards the end, every time I got arrested, I went to prison. I want everybody who's listening to let this resonate. Jail and prison saved my life. And it probably saved yours. My arc of criminality was going up. And most people don't understand this. If you ever meet someone who robbed a bank, I promise you, I'm right, you're wrong. That wasn't the first crime they ever committed. They started down here at Hope Depot stealing a Dremel. Then they stole the chainsaw. Then they went to Best Buy and stole a cell phone. Then they went to Walmart and stole a refrigerator. Somehow they reeled it out. 
the arc of criminality continued to climb. Then eventually they got to the bank. That's how it works. Every time I got arrested and I went to prison, it's exactly where I belong. I am beyond grateful. Thank you, Jesus Christ, our Savior, for uh, getting me arrested and caught every time I got caught and for allowing me to get away with the things that I got away with. If I would have gotten arrested for the things that uh, I got uh, away with, I'd be in prison for the rest of my life. I will not go into what they are because you guys will see me differently. Not that you don't now, but I'm not going to get into all those things. I got away with things that should have gotten me life. God had a plan. I'm here to tell you every single day and every month and every year I did in prison, I had coming. I knew what I was doing when I was doing it. This disease thing we talk about, I knew when I was doing drugs, it was wrong. So does every other drug addict. I knew when I was committing crimes, it was wrong. People always say, Dave, why are you so hard on yourself? I'm not hard on me. They say, you just made some mistakes. No, I didn't. I didn't make any mistakes. I made calculated decisions to do what was wrong, knowing what the consequences are. Who the hell am I to cry about it afterwards? So does everybody else. Everybody listening to this right now knows the difference between right and wrong. We choose right or wrong. I didn't make any mistakes. If I forget to set my alarm tonight, I wake up late in the morning, that's a mistake. Jess, if you and I are driving down the street and we're having a spirited conversation, and I have a tendency to have those, and I blow that light, that's a mistake. When I make a calculated decision to deal drugs and run guns and go on high-speed chases, that's not a mistake. I thought it out. I made a decision to do it anyway. I should be held accountable to those decisions, period. Dales and prison saved my life. But this is why I love you, is you are willing to speak that directly without disliking the people who chose wrong. In fact, right. you love those people who chose wrong. I absolutely And, and holding those two things, I think, is such an example to the rest of us of like being honest that people chose wrong. It didn't accidentally happen, whatever. That people chose wrong, even if they had big temptations. And I'm not going to say that they didn't have a bigger temptation than I did. Right. 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 Um, but the idea that we can be honest, someone chose the wrong right. without disliking them, without hating them, right. without dumping on them. In fact, saying like, as a result, they actually need more of our help. Yes. And, and we need to get them into a program like yours. Yes. Look, the problem we have today, especially in this state, is we don't hold people accountable anymore. Look at San Francisco. Look at Seattle. Look at Los Angeles. Look at now parts of Salt Lake, where the homeless drug addict, not the chronically homeless that has catastrophic loss of family that's on the streets that aren't using. Look at the drug addict homeless that are choosing to do drugs and choosing to be homeless and then choosing to participate in the lawlessness of our community. Just because you are a drug addict does not give you a green light to be a criminal. If you go to San Francisco now, there are areas where you pull into a restaurant and they say, remove your luggage from your car, take it in with you. There was 25,000 car break-ins last year, zero prosecutions. They call them crimes of necessity. They're allowing drug addicts to destroy the community in the name of addiction, that they have a disease. It's not their fault. No, it's not. If Jess, if you have $10 million and you're sitting comfortably ensconced behind your uh, desk, and the confines of your own sanctum sanctorum, and you're smoking dope all day, and you're buying it with your $10 million, there's nothing anybody can do. But if you're breaking into my home, stealing my guns, and using them in the commission of a crime, you belong in jail. Being a drug addict is not a green light to be a criminal. Separate the two. Arrest the criminal. If the drug addict comes with it, tuck shit. We're, we don't do that anymore. 
What I'm experiencing now is all of these drug addicts that are out there ripping and running and committing crimes are getting arrested and released within eight hours. Arrested and released within eight hours. If you take a drug addict and you arrest them and they know they're going to get released, where's their incentive to change? What we need to do now is have detoxes inside the jails. They need to transform the jail. If we're going to release criminals, fine. Detox them first. Let them stay for 30, 60, or 90 days. Get completely detoxed. Then give them a whole myriad of options. Here's all the flyers and all the paperwork on a dozen different places you can go. Where would you like to go? Or release them eight hours later when they're dope sick. And what do you think the odds of success are going to be then? We're doing it wrong. We need to hold people accountable. So to go back to what you were saying, when I was a drug addict, I was a liar. I was a cheater. I was a thief. I was a manipulator. I was violent emotionally, violent verbally, and violent physically. I, I encapsulated all of those behaviors. Get me clean and sober. I'm still all of those things. Send me through an efficacious program that's extremely long, very structured, and hard that gives me the opportunity to learn to tell the truth, to be accountable, and to have integrity. I'll solve the drug problem and never even address it. You look at the programs today that have a, an average of 3 to 5% success rate. You look at us that have an 80% success rate. Why? We're not easy. We are hard. We make no excuses. If human change is based on influence and structure, why can't the same be true for us, the drug addict and the criminal? It is true for us. But we've monopolized the help and we've turned it into a business and there's trillions of dollars being spent every day helping a population when they're not really helping them. We're hurting more people so, than we're helping. So let's talk about this because you've explained this stuff to me in the past. And I think people would, hopefully people are as interested in it as I am. This idea of like, you know, maybe a, however they get in the program, whether it's voluntary, whether it's, you know, they get to come to you instead of going to jail, whatever. It's like, there's almost this, and I want you to correct me here, but like when they first show up, it's like this mindset of like, oh, here's a, here's a great scam for me to not have to be in prison. I wonder how this works. And it's yeah. like over time, when they're surrounded by people just like them who've become different, there's like this osmosis effect. That's and right. there's these revelations that happen mm -hmm. through like systematic, systematic, repetitive example setting from people who came from where they came from. H how would you say it better than me? Yeah, it's, it's act as if. Act as if until you become. Here, community is the method. There isn't a doctor or a counselor that doesn't know a damn thing about what's going on with you trying to help you trying to fix the broken person, we're fixing ourselves. And our peers are pointing out all those behaviors when we're manipulating and we're sneaky and we're stealing cookies or we're stealing socks after being here for six months, clean and sober, passing the note to the girl when you know you're not supposed to, sneaking out. Those behaviors get hammered down on because those aren't mistakes. They're conscious decisions to do the wrong thing. Then we hold you accountable to the decisions you make and you've got to do the consequences. Then your peers your peers call you on those behaviors. Can you give us examples? When you say hammered down, when you say consequences, can you, can you give me people an example? It's probably not corporal punishment. Of course not corporal punishment, but it's, <laughs> it's peer driven. The community is going to hold you accountable. Let's say you've been here for a year and you were in laundry and you stole somebody's shirt because you wanted it. Should we just go, oh, Jess, don't do that. You know, you're not supposed to do that. Welcome to most programs, right? Because they don't want to kick you out or don't want to hold you accountable because you might leave and they'll lose the funding. Here, we're going to bring you in the room, the quorum. We're going to have that conversation with you that what you stole here, did it belong to you? No. Did you take it? Yes. Is that stealing? Yes. 
if you were on the street and you stole something, what would happen? I'd get a new case. Here, right, you lose your free, to, uh, your free time. There's some consequences. Out there, you lose your freedom. What are you doing taking something as a 39-year-old adult that doesn't belong to you? Now, again, the, the vast majority of the community just wants to make excuses. So then you're going to get a two-week contract, right, which means that you have to work extra hours here, and your peers get to bring you into a room two times a week and tell you about yourself. It is the most cathartic thing you've ever gone through. We wonder why the world is sliding into this bad place of unaccountability and victimization because we don't call people on their behaviors. Fascinating. I had an organization here this morning, Corporate America, just from 9 to 1030 as I was training them on vulnerability and accountability and how to call each other on their behavior. I had the whole leadership team here. In a month, I'm going to be in another organization, 270 employees. I'm bringing some of my staff. We're going to teach them on accountability. Are you ready for this? A year and a half ago, I had the South Salt Lake Police Department at the Other Side Academy. 95 officers from the chief down to the officer on the street playing groups with them. Who would have thunk that the ex-drug addicts and ex-felons would be training the police on accountability? We are now teaching the world how to become better people. And if you want to become a better person, powdering your butt and making it okay to make conscious decisions, do the wrong thing is not the way. You know, um, it's funny. There's, there's a business equivalent. I was, I was listening to a guy, his name's Alex. He built a $100 million business. And he was talking about kind of thinking he was a little bit of a big deal, you know? And, and then he finds out that like the YouTuber Mr. Beast or Kylie Jenner become billionaires in their 20s. And he's just like, it was really tough for me because I have this high opinion of myself. Mm. And he's like, I just had to be honest. They're better at business than me. Like, like it means I'm not good enough. If, if I have a goal of being a billionaire and I'm at 10% of that goal, guess what? That means one thing. That means I'm not good enough. But he was able to say it without shame, without self-blame, without any, anything, I guess. He was just like identifying factors. Like, he was extremely straightforward, extremely direct, but minus the baggage or the, the judgment. He was just identifying, like, I'm not good enough. If I actually want what I say I want, I'm going to have to do some things different. Yeah. And uh, it's like, if it can be so jarring right off the bat, but then so helpful to, like, yeah. to kind of leave aside all of the, um, the extra job of making of the positioning and coming across looking good and like I call it like the cardboard cutout version of ourselves we wish everybody believed in. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And um so so let's give some examples. Let's talk about some things that um over two and a half years help help someone go from the bottom two percent to the top two percent. I think you know in most organizations like ours that help with this population in most programs, the minute you get there, right, I'm standing up, your pants are sagging, right? They're down around your Welcome to today's drug. Your hat's on crooked. You have your cell phone. And if you're a drug addict and a criminal, who's in your phone? Toxic relationships. So you get there, and for the next 30, 60, or 90 days, you're going to therapy every day, and you have somebody tell you what's broken and what you need to fix, as if we didn't already know. The fascinating thing about the Other Side Academy is all that goes on, but your pants are pulled up, you don't wear a hat, and you don't have your cell phone with your drug dealer phone number uh, texting them back and forth that I'll be out 30 days to get my pound, right? Um, those things aren't going on. 
and you get up every day and you go to work because the social enterprises generate the revenue that allows us to do the work that we're doing and work becomes the petri dish almost exclusively and i do presentations in jails and prisons around the country and i ask sometimes i have 25 inmates sometimes i have 500 i ask everybody who in here knows how to work and all their hands go up i say you're all liars now just i can get away with that because they already know i am them just farther removed you are liars if you knew how to work that's where you'd be how many times have you been to prison six i thought you said you knew how to work if you did you wouldn't be in prison you don't know how to work what that means is get up be on time go to break come back on time go to lunch come back on time go to afternoon break come back on time punch out at five not 459 follow simple instructions and have a good attitude go to bed rinse and repeat most of the programs you go there you're not working your pants are on sagging you're going to therapy you're smoking cigarettes out on the you know thing you're telling lies with all the other drug addicts go back into therapy the next day then you have to graduate 30 60 or 90 days and go get a job you have no idea how to work you don't know how to be on time you don't know how to dress appropriately you don't know how to follow simple instructions you don't know how to be a good employee and eventually become a good boss because they can't teach you that but answer your question in that two and a half years the day you get here you become the solution, not the problem. You are going to be required to work in the organization to help generate the revenue so you can fix your own life. You broke it. I broke mine when I went to Delancey Street, right? The day I got there, I went to work to help generate revenue to keep the doors open. Some people go, well, that's indentured servitude. Oh, really? Seriously. So instead, I should be able to do drugs and commit crimes so the taxpayers should pay for me. Get out of here with that shit. It is not you. When I was going to jail, Jess, who was paying for me? Taxpayers. Yeah, I want to thank all the taxpayers. Listen, you guys, pay a little more taxes because the food sucks. Would you please pay a little more so I can eat better food on the inside? And my medical. It took me a month to finally see the doctor, but I appreciate you taxpayers paying for that doctor inside that prison to see me when I was lying to him anyway, just so I could get on some meds. Thank you, taxpayers. I exploited you. When I was going to jail, I was a burden. When I was going to prison, I was a burden. When I was going to programs I couldn't pay for, I was a burden. When I went to Delancey Street, a program just like this one, I was no longer a burden. It was my responsibility to take care of me. Welcome and what was life. your first job? What was your first job at Delancey? Did you watch the TED Talk? No. My I didn't first, even know uh, until this interview. Started. I didn't even know you'd done one. Yeah. When I first got there, uh, everybody's on maintenance. Sweep, mop, wash dishes, wipe windows. Uh, and then when I when I graduated, and just and just quickly, they've got the restaurant. What does Delancey Street have? Restaurant, moving company, holiday decorating for Christmas time, Christmas tree lots, all the different facilities. There's five of them in the country have different social enterprises that generate yeah. the revenue. Um, so my first real job was landscaping. Uh, they stuffed me in the backyard because they couldn't trust me out of the house. And the uh, guy who ran the facility in Los Angeles, I talk about this in my TED talk would send the dog downstairs every day to poop in the grass right where I was working so I'd have to pick it up. I got so mad that I wanted to drop kick that dog onto the 101 freeway and go up there and beat Jimmy with that shovel. It's a funny story that everybody who knows me knows about right in Delancey Street. Gotta remember, I had an empathetic judge who let me go to Delancey Street. He suspended a 22-year prison sentence over my head and I was too good to pick up dog poop. What a maggot I had become. Seriously, I use that word because that's who I'd become. I was too good to pick up dog poop, but I had just beat a 22-year prison sentence. I was so full of false pride. These are things you can't usually learn in other programs, but Delancey Street taught it to me, right? Six months later, I would have picked that up with my bare hands. Who cares? 
I realized that I'm not who I wanted people to think I was. I was a parasite. Tell, tell me about that transition. Went from all this false pride to that, to that new version of you that was emerging yeah. six, months, six months later. Yeah, my peers, my peers. A doctor in a white lab coat could not do it. A therapist could not do this. When I got to Delancey Street, there was a couple hundred people there, half of which I knew from jail or prison or the streets previously. I'm like, my goodness, Jess, what are you doing here? I haven't seen you in years. I thought you were dead. Completely different human being. They, and when I got there, right, I was full of Dave DeRocher pride, right? Uh, what I was willing to do on the street, what I was willing to do in prison, four prison terms, big time drug dealer. That's what was in my head. Man, they beat that shit out of me so quick, Jess. I literally think about it. If I'm on the street dealing drugs, that means you're buying them, going home, dropping it on the floor for your dog to eat or your child to eat. I wasn't thinking about those, uh, those consequences. Maybe you're driving away and you doze off at the wheel and you get in an accident because you bought drugs from me. I never took into consideration the ripple effect my bad choices were making, not my mistakes, my conscious decision to make those choices. I got to Delancey Street. They beat the bark off me, shipped away all the rough edges and gave me an opportunity to smooth the stone. And is that just because of, and that is because of the discussions that are happening, you know, like you're going to get extra. If you can't be nice, yeah. you're going to get extra dishes. You want to like, know what it was, Jess? You want to know what it was? They told me the unadulterated truth. They told me the unadulterated truth about who David was the day he got there. And also told David what his potential looked like if he makes these changes. They did not beat around the bush. They didn't powder my southern exposure. They exposed my southern exposure and told me exactly who I was. And I was listening. And they were right, 100% right. That gave me a foundation to start creating my new 2.0 version of myself. But if I didn't get told the truth, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Yeah. Um, can you talk about the happiness of you know, learning some humility, learning mm -hmm. to tell the truth, and, and what that did for you internally? You know, I... Uh... I realized as I look back and I leave my life with my story, I have a Jeep Wrangler and you know, the Rubicon on the side, mine says X-Con. And so many people go, what? Is, I've never seen a Jeep X-Con. I said, because it doesn't exist. It's a conversation. Want to talk? I leave my life with my story because I no longer have any more guilt or any more shame. I am not ashamed. And I've hurt thousands of people. I have kids I didn't raise. I have marriages I destroyed. I have family dynamics that I completely destroyed. I've repaired it all. I can't go back and fix all the people or, or repair all the relationships. I couldn't remember all the names, but I tipped the scales in the other direction because now I've helped more people than I've hurt. And what that did is it gave me an opportunity at Delancey Street over a long period of time. You gotta remember, I stayed in a program for eight and a half years. I learned to tell the truth. I learned to be accountable. I learned to have integrity. I learned to be dependable. I learned to do what I say I was gonna do. I learned to put other people first. That gives you a sense of real pride, right? Humble pride for such a thing that I can make a difference. My life has value. I can add value to others. I can be a contributing member in my community, not a parasite in it, right? I just learned so much about human behavior and about who I once was and how to overcome that by giving back and helping others. And you have to learn to tell the truth. You gotta learn to have a good attitude. And the only way you're going to learn that you lack in those areas is other people have to point it out to you. We're not very good at self-assessing, most of us, 
right? Yeah. So it gave me the chance to really become the 2.0 version to recalibrate my moral compass and become that person. Um, and so, and how many years have you been running Avishad Academy now? Uh, since, since our inception, August of 2015. So about seven and a half years. Yeah. Um, when you think about one of your favorite stories of a student, and don't overshare or whatever, but t tell us, do you mind telling us a couple of your favorite stories from Other Side Academy? So, uh, gosh, so many. I have two staff members now, Matt and Robin. Um, Matt came to us about six and a half years ago. I interviewed him in Weber County Jail, and I did not accept him. He was nowhere near ready. He called me and he wrote, and he called me and he wrote, and he was obnoxious about it. So I went back to Weber County to do another round of interviews for people who were writing. And I'm going to pull that guy out of a cell and give him a piece of my mind. And he was a completely different person. I re-interviewed him. I accepted him, and he came. Robin, on the other hand, was in Salt Lake County Jail. One of our other staff members interviewed her. She got released, and she walked all the way from Salt Lake County Jail to the other side facility. She walked here. The two of them went through the program, did their two years, did a third year as master students, did a fourth year as staff in training, and they've now been staff members for about two and a half years. Two years ago today, on January 11th, two years ago today, I performed the ceremony and married them to each other. You talk about a proud papa moment, right? To raise them through this process, to hire them as full-time staff members. Matt runs my warehouse and one of our social enterprises. Robin runs our legal department and is dealing with judges and DAs and public defenders and AP&P across the state, right? That's her job, to be able to perform the marriage. John and Sierra, same thing. I interviewed Sierra in uh, uh, Farmington in Davis County, interviewed John over the phone while he was at Fortitude, which is nothing more than a drug program that's sponsored by the government called Fortitude. Look it up. It's a mess um, sponsored by our government. Matter of fact, they give that place money so that the people coming out of prison can get high. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but it's the truth. Anyway, I interviewed him over the phone from there, and he's been with us ever since, and I got to uh, uh, perform that marriage as well. To raise, it's, 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 it's the same feeling you get when you have children and you raise them and they become good human beings. Those are just a couple of stories of some really incredible people that came to us and are now living immensely successful lives. And to be able to raise them through that entire process. See, the difference between us and other places are I don't punch in at five or eight o'clock in the morning and punch out at five. I live on property. So does the rest of my staff. The reason for that is this. Jess, you have kids. If you and your wife never come home, what do the kids do? Do whatever they, they want. Whenever the hell they want. All other programs, it's the same thing. In most cases, in your 30, 60, 90 day models that are residential, the staff goes home at five o'clock. The guy who's been clean for 77 days, um, you know, 20 minutes basically, um, is the house manager. God knows what goes on in those places. I won't even get into it, but it goes on. We live on property. We are their parents. We are raising children in adult bodies through the process. So those are just a couple of those stories. And it's just incredible to be, to, to be able to play a part in that process. Such great stories. Um, let's, let's talk about business for a minute. Will you tell us a little bit more about your, your businesses? Yeah. Other side? So our moving company, when you get a chance, look up the other side movers. We are the number one rated moving company in the entire state of Utah. We do about 250 to 300 moves a month. Uh, Ernst & Young Entrepreneurs of the Year, I shared that with you earlier. Our thrift boutiques, one on State Street, one in Mill Creek. 
those thrift boutiques, when you walk, when you think thrift store, you think DI Goodwill. Stop, erase that. Think Macy's or Nordstrom's. They are that nice. We just won best of state with our thrift stores. Um, our construction company, the other site builders, flat concrete work, bathroom, kitchen remodels, basement remodels, you name it, we do it, patio covers, all that stuff. And then our storage facility, uh, the other side storage, crated storage, uh, 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 completely secure, climate controlled, incredible. Moving company, most people who move have stuff they don't want, donate to the thrift, have stuff they need to store, go to our storage. It's a beautiful dovetail of everything, right? Those four social enterprises generate all of the revenue that allows us to do the work that we're doing without charging anybody anything to be here. We've even scaled the model into Denver. Go ahead, Jess, you were gonna ask a question. Uh, how, many, how many students now between the two locations? I've got 106 students right now in Salt Lake, 24 staff members. So I've got about close to 140 people living on property here in Salt Lake and about 50 people living in, on property in Denver, which I'll be there tomorrow. When did Denver start? May, three and a half years ago. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Um, when you think about the idea of duplication, you know, uh, what you learned at Delancey Street uh, helped you make decisions of what you were or weren't going to include for other side. What you did in Salt Lake helps you decide what you are and aren't going to do at Denver. Yeah. Um, as this has progressed, what, what are some of the, you know, the innovations or the iterations and the duplication? Like when you were making some decisions about Denver, um, what were what were some of the decisions that have evolved over time? You know, scaling any model can be tricky. Scaling this one in particular is even trickier because leadership is the problem. The, the, the advantage that most corporate America has is they can go to the up at the U of U and stand there at a graduation and go, okay, you 25 people, come on over, we're going to hire you. Um, and you get the top 2%. Here... You have to have people that have lived experience, have been long-term drug addicts, lived on the streets, lived in jail, lived in prison, and then have completely transformed themselves and have business acumen on top of it, but didn't get an education to get it. It's not easy to find. It is really, really difficult to find. So leadership is our biggest uh, obstacle. We were able to send an incredible team to Denver with Lola Strong and Steve Strong, who both were in Delancey Street with me, they now head that facility and they're doing an absolutely marvelous job. And as I continue to grow my staff here in Salt Lake and our staff in Denver, we could eventually break off and start site three, but it takes time. In my guesstimate, it's about every four or five years before we have the right staff because you can't leave too many holes behind when you send new staff. So, you know, we're learning how to scale. We're learning what social enterprises work here and what may or may not work there. Um, there's a lot of things and we go all over the country and all over the world studying other models. What are they doing that's working? What are they doing that isn't? And that really is how we're learning. That's great. Um, well, listen, you get interviewed by the press a lot. You, you give TED Talks. Um, what's something that people don't ask you enough? What's something that you, op open floor here. What do you, what do you wanna talk about? Um, I think that the, the problem today is people are like sheep, right? We just kind of follow right off the edge of the cliff. I think what where people, I think I've got the ear of a lot of people right now, but it's not so much what they don't ask, it's what they're not listening to. The model's broken. It is, it is really, really, really broken. We are not serving this population to the same degree that we should be serving them. Treatment facilities are too short. There's a thing called dosage effect. 
The longer you're in treatment, the better your odds, but you can't stay in treatment long because the government's paying for it or insurance paying for it. So you have to leave when the funding runs out. If anybody doesn't understand that, they're ignorant, right? It's just, it doesn't make sense. To whole person change takes time. We're arresting people and we're releasing people same day, which allows them to go out and terrorize the community and continue to use and then die. We're not keeping metrics on that because nobody wants to look at that. We need to change the way the jail system works. And people say we can't incarcerate our way out of this problem. You're right, we can't, we never will. But we can incarcerate our way our, into a solution. And the best way to do it is when you arrest a drug addict, hold them in jail, let them detox. Then they're clear of mind when you offer them all of these options. Anybody who says that's the wrong thing, it's almost exclusively people who have never been to jail and never been a drug addict. So what the hell do you know about it? Right? It's, it's maddening that you have academics and people with no lived experience making decisions for us. So to distill down your question, what do people not ask enough of? It's not what they're not asking. It's what they're not listening to. We have to, we have to get away from academics thinking they know best about this issue and get more people with lived experience at the table. You know, what I like about it is what we need to do, Dan, we need, what we need to do, Dave, is start... Um, we need to get like some grant money, not, not for you, but to pay to bring politicians on tour and to like have politicians go to work for a day with, yeah. your, with your guys and stuff, right? Yeah. And uh, like you, you look at, I don't know, like the report card, you know, look at the difference between how many multi-millionaire clients of ours uh, didn't graduate high school and in some, didn't graduate college and in some places didn't graduate high school. Versus the academic with a PhD who is teaching business school but has never run a business in their life, you know? And, and it's like when the letter, and, and, and yet there, there are academics who have extremely important things to add to a conversation. But um, when, it, when the report card is, like when, when the preface is, let's talk to this person, and the report card is, how many years did you sit at a desk and read? Versus, okay, what kind of, you know, like for business, what, what kind of profits have you created? Over what, you know, how repeatedly, over how many years, across how many businesses? You know, like if it was that way, it's my high school dropout and college dropout clients that would be, that would be the obvious choice you would want to get your answers from, yeah. right? So it would be interesting to, to maybe help you, like think, maybe we get like some different people been on the show, different like innovators or whatever, like, Help create a report card for the kind of people like how many lives have they changed uh, where the recidivism numbers were the opposite of jail? How many lives have they changed where the recidivism numbers were the opposite of, of traditional treatment? And, uh, and have that start to be like the premise of who gets to speak at the conference, who yeah. gets to speak, who gets to testify at Congress. I, you know, I, I agree, Jess. You know, we've had the governors here from Herbert to Cox. We've had all the mayors here. Mayor Mendenhall is a huge fan of the Other Side Academy. So with Mayor McAdams and uh, uh, Mayor Jenny Wilson, they're incredible human beings. And all everybody means extremely well. The problem is when you are an academic and you think you know better when it comes to this population, but the proof is in the pudding. If the problem seems to be getting worse and worse and worse, let's say the problem is worse, then what are we doing wrong? But the problem isn't worse. Our response to it is, what are we doing wrong? 
most of the time politicians and those who have letters behind their name don't ever want to admit that they don't know. And while they have a PhD, I don't care. I've got a PhD. So does my staff. We have lived experience. We're going to understand the issues at a far deeper level than those who don't. It's just but, Okay, what we need to do, we need to have another conversation because I know you've got other things to get to today. We need to have a conversation where we start putting up opinions um, and find a way to get Find a way to get a spotlight for opinions based by results. Yep. You know what I mean? Yes, where, I where, where it's like, you know, it's like business. You, oh, you've got this great idea for business? Well, this guy has great profits. I think I'm going to listen to him, right? Yep. Um, okay. Uh, I know we've got to wind up here. If people want to support you guys, want to learn about you guys and things like that, what's the websites? Where should people connect? What should people be doing? The other side academy.com is our website. Um, they can reach me at Dave at the other side academy.com. Dave at the other side academy.com. All one word. Happy to answer any and all emails. Support us by using our moving company. Even if you don't need to move, use it just for sport. You'll love the experience. You'll do it like every weekend because it's so much fun. Uh, uh, go to our thrift boutiques. Support us that way. Buy from us. Donate to us. But the most important part is this. I highly doubt there's anybody listening to this episode right now that doesn't have a family member, a friend, a associate, somebody in their uh, immediate uh, circle of influence that doesn't need help. The problem's so widespread now that we all know people that need help. We are here. We are open 24-7. I do interviews on the phone sometimes at 2 o'clock in the morning. If they are in jail pre-sentence, we'll go there and interview them. If they're out of state and they're not on parole or probation, we'll interview them over the phone. Excuse me, interview them over the phone and help them get here. My goal is to touch as many people as we can to broaden our exposure in this country so we have people from all over the country coming to the Other Side Academy. That's awesome. Dave, thanks for doing this and uh, thanks for doing what you do all day. Jess, thank you. I appreciate you having me on the show and it was so fun running into you a couple of months ago. I look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, you bet. Bye, everyone. <laughs>